Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. The author of Hebrews has one aim, and that is to show us the superiority of Jesus. Jesus is greater than the law, sacrifices, and priesthood. The author wants us to know that Jesus is everything and all we will ever need. Part two of Cheryl's message titled, Our Incorruptible High Priest. Another time that this office was combined, both priest and king, was during what we call the intertestamental period. And that's the time between Malachi and Matthew. This 500, actually 400 year period, after Israel had returned from Babylon, after the exile, When the land of Israel was overrun either by the Seleucids or the Syrian kingdoms or Egypt known as the Ptolemy kingdoms. And it's during this king, this time, that a very evil Syrian king arose whose name was Antiochus Epiphanes. And he profaned the temple by offering a pig on the, on the altar of God. Now, there was a priestly family known as the Maccabeans. And Matthias, who was the head of the Maccabeans, and he was of the Aaronic lineage, was so angry that he took his sons and he went down and he took over the temple and they held the temple and they purified the temple. And miraculously, the oil stayed so that they could continually, even though there was not enough oil, keep the menorah of the Lord lit. And from that episode, you have what is called Hanukkah, which is a feast that even Jesus celebrated. And you learned that it was as the feast of dedication, which is also Hanukkah. Jesus was at the temple. So he honored this feast too that we, that of Hanukkah. But what happened is then the priestly family, um, Matthias was killed, but the rest of his sons, they were able to fight off the Syrians. And for a short-lived time, Israel regained its nationality. And during this time, the grandson of Matthias, John Hycranus, He not only declared himself the priest, but the king of Israel. And when he declared himself king, you know what he did? He took concubines, which was forbidden for the priest. He became more and more corrupt. He became oppressive. 
He then passed on the priesthood and the dynasty to his son, Alexander Janus, who was in a constant civil war with his brother. So Israel was storm-tossed between these two brothers. But at the Feast of Sukkoth, when the water was to be poured down the stairs at the temple, to signify or to remind the people of how God had brought the water out of the rock to refresh the people and that the people would be refreshed. And this is one of those feasts that all the men and families of Israel were to come to Jerusalem. And there were thousands upon thousands of people camped out on the hillsides and inside Jerusalem living in little booths. And at this feast, Alexander Janus took the water and he poured it on his own feet, not down the stairs. In other words, he was saying, only I deserve the refreshment of God. I am great. I am king and priest. And the people recognized it as a claim to the Messiahship of Israel. And they pelted him with oranges. And what he did is he turned loose his army on his fellow Israelites. And that day, over 6,000 men, women, and children were murdered in Jerusalem in the court of the Lord. Later, because the Pharisees said, you're wrong, you cannot be priest and king. You are not the Messiah. He had 300 Pharisees crucified. And he watched them die while he kissed and fondled and cuddled with his concubines. He was that corrupt. It is from Alexander Janus that Herod arose because he married the granddaughter, Marianne, of Alexander Janus. And so what we see, even with this, this kingship, this unauthorized merging that eventually went to a Gentile who tried to murder the true Messiah. Only God's Messiah could officiate both offices. According to Psalm 110, it would be the son of David who would be king and priest, not the son of Aaron, but the son of David. As it says in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. But this son of David, according to verse four of Psalm 110, would be ordained from a higher priesthood than Aaron's. He would be from the order of Melchizedek because only the Messiah could hold such power, such prestige, and such privilege without conceit, without corruption, without character change, and without becoming oppressive. Now, as we come, that's a long introduction, but guess what? We're now at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. But by reminder, 
Throughout the epistle of Hebrews, the author has one aim. The great aim of the author of Hebrews is to show the superiority of Jesus, the superiority of our Messiah Jesus to the law, to the sacrifices, to the temple, to the priesthood. The author of Hebrews wants the Hebrews and wants us to know that Jesus is what we have always needed, that Jesus is all we need, and Jesus is everything we need. And he shows this by way of scripture. In every chapter of Hebrews, the author has been going back and showing us through the Psalms, uh, through Genesis, through the law, through the prophets, that Jesus is the Messiah we need, that he is the fulfillment, that he is superior to anything else that has ever come. He also proves it by way of potential that no one has done for us what Jesus has done, that no one could do for us what Jesus has done, and no one will do for us what Jesus is doing and will do for us. In this chapter, verses 1 through 17, the author points to the superior order of Jesus' priesthood. And he uses an event in the life of Abraham found in Genesis chapter 14 and a declaration of God found in Psalm 110 verse 4 to prove in the scriptures and the greater potential of this king and priest that we have in Jesus. Concerning the event in Genesis chapter 14, it is a prophetic picture or a foreshadowing of the Messiah that would come. Um, maybe in your groups you talked, you touched on this. Some believe that this event in Genesis 14 is a Christology or an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Others believe it's a typology or a type of Christ appearing in the Old Testament. A Christology is an actual appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. A typology is someone who comes in the prophetic picture of Jesus. This is what Jesus is. Like Jesus is a type. Joseph is a typology of Jesus in that he goes into slavery. He, his brothers actually, in a sense, kill him. And yet he, he rises from that pit that he's in, in for three days. And he goes and he takes over a kingdom and he's ruling and they don't even realize it until they're brought in because of starvation, because they're certain death. They have to go and acknowledge his kingship and he shows grace to them and he gives them forgiveness. That's a foreshadowing or a typology of Jesus, right? You've got another typology in David. David comes on the scene. He is the anointed. He kills the giant. But the king of that world, the king of Israel, seeks to kill him. And in a, in a way, David dies and he goes into exile where he's not seen by Israel. But then he comes back and, he, and for seven years, he reigns only over a part of Israel. 
But after this seven years is over, like a tribulation, he reigns over all of Israel. You've got these different pictures of Jesus Christ all through the Old Testament. No wonder Jesus said in John 5, verse 39, you do search these scriptures because in them you think you have life. But Pharisees, Sadducees, people of Israel, these testify of me. It's all about me. In Psalm 40, he said, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. The whole scroll, everything in the word of God, the Old Testament is all pointing to Jesus. So some say this is actually Jesus Christ because Jesus would say of Abraham that Abraham believed in him, saw his day and rejoiced, recognized that this Melchizedek was actually Jesus coming from the heavenly Jerusalem. Others say, no, he's a typology coming from the earthly Jerusalem. Doesn't matter whether it's a typology or Christology. Oh my goodness, we have so much to learn from this king. So let's get there and quit talking about things that we don't really know, can't be sure of. All right, I'm preaching to myself now. I'll come back to you. But the Old Testament events were not just happenings or just a record of history. The men and women lived out prophetic pictures and proved spiritual principles. They taught us, they guide us, and they prepare us. In 1 Corinthians 10, 6, the Paul says, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. And he goes on. These are teaching points for us. You know, the Bible is so rich. You cannot exhaust the Bible. Just when you think you know the Bible, God opens another door and says, look at this. And you're like, oh my goodness. It's deeper. It's richer. And it all makes sense. It's amazing. So we read in Genesis chapter 14, that Abraham gathers up all his household servants when he hears about four kings that had conquered the southern area of Canaan and taken four other kingdoms captive. So these uh, five kingdoms, these four kings are so powerful, so aggressive, so strong that they're able to conquer five kingdoms. And they not only conquer these kingdoms, they take all of the goods that are found in these five kingdoms and all of the people as captives and slaves. And now they're even more empowered and they're heading back to uh, their homelands. And Abraham, who is now in his 80s, 80s, he's in his 80s, he gathers up 318 of his trained servants. Servants. You know, can you bring water? Great. Take this arrow. Can you, you know, can you pitch a tent? Great. Then, you know, pitch the spear. He takes servants and he pursues five aggressive warlord conquering kings. The odds are way against Abraham. But Abraham wins. He wins. 
He's leading it. An 80-year-old general is leading just 300, and they're absolutely victorious against these five kings. And not only do they win, but they recover everything that was stolen and the riches of all the five kings who started the conflict. They get even more than what was stolen. And he retrieves his nephew and all the people that were taken. Now, as he's returning victorious from this conflict with his servants, with all the captives, this king called Melchizedek comes out to greet him. This king, Melchizedek, has not been a part of the conflict. And he meets Abraham with bread and wine, elements of a covenant. This Melchizedek is making a covenant with Abraham. And the elements of this covenant remind us of the elements of our covenant. Because Jesus came from God with his blood and body, represented by the wine and bread that we partake of in communion. Because Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this wine, you remember me. These are the elements of our covenant with God. He blesses Abraham. Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth of all the spoils of war. Though Abraham refused any of those spoils, he acknowledges that he owes the victory, that he owes everything that's been gained to Melchizedek. He owes it to Melchizedek. This same priest and priesthood is mentioned in the Messianic Psalm 110, where God declares with an oath concerning the Messiah, the son of David, the Lord is sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Remember, this psalm begins with the son of David. David said, the Lord said to my Lord, verse one, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And that goes on after talking about the son of David. Now, the son of David obviously is going to be divine because David calls him Lord. And the son of David is going to be a priest after a higher order, an order that preceded the Aaronic order. So what is so significant about this priesthood and this order One, it proves the legitimacy of Jesus' priesthood and kingship. It shows that Jesus' priesthood is superior and preceded, came before the Aaronic priesthood, that Jesus' priesthood has been a constant. It is from everlasting to everlasting. Melchizedek's name is significant because he is the king of righteousness. 
There has been no other king who can make that claim to absolute righteousness. Even as we started in the introduction, even the best kings became corrupt. But this is an incorruptible king. This is a king who is absolutely righteous. Melchizedek's kingdom is significant. Verse 2 of Hebrews 7, because he rules over Salem or Jerusalem, whether that is the earthly Jerusalem or the heavenly eternal Jerusalem, we don't know because at this time in the Bible, Abraham didn't know that Jerusalem would someday be the capital of Israel. In fact, that was not known until David became king that Jerusalem would become so significant. He is the king of peace. But that word peace, again, is the Hebrew word shalom, which doesn't just mean peace. Peace is a part of it, a big part of it. But it means security, prosperity, health, benefit. Melchizedek's genealogy is significant. Verse 3. He does not have a lineage. We're not told who he's begotten from. You know, like it's not Melchizedek, the son of Melchizedek. There's no, you know, and then his son was. Because in the Old Testament, everybody was proven by who their father was or by who their sons were. That's how they were known. Growing up, I was Chuck's daughter, Chuck's daughter. Then I became Brian's wife. I have, a, I have a lineage. And we often use who came before us and who came after us to identify ourselves. Melchizedek in the Bible, which is so, so unique to everyone else, does not have a lineage. In Ezra, these men came and said, we're of the priestly lineage, and they were not allowed to serve because they could not prove their lineage. Interesting, most of the lineages were lost during the Assyrian occupation of Israel and the Babylonian occupation of of Judah when, when everyone was taken captive. Only the tribe of Judah and some of the tribe of Am I losing you with all this history? Are you okay with this? I'm going to get to where it applies to us. I am. The reason this is significant too is because today all those lineages are lost. Every single lineage was lost when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. Those lineages, which were so significant when the Israelites came back from Babylon, have all been lost. Nobody can prove that they deserve the priesthood. Nobody can prove that they deserve to be the king of Israel. Nobody. All of that's lost. All of that's been corrupted by intermarriages, even if they could DNA it. There's no pure seed But Jesus is the last one who traced his lineage. Jesus. Jesus is the one who could trace his lineage back to David, to the throne of Israel. On both his mother and his stepfather's side, he had the biological right and he had the legal right 
to the throne of Israel. But Melchizedek, there's no one who comes before him, no one who comes after him. In other words, he is the constant priest. He is the forever priest. He has never been, there was no one who preceded him as priest, and there is no one who comes after him as priest. He reigns forever. The author of Hebrews was writing to born-again Jews who had turned from the sufficiency of Christ and returned to the laws, rituals, and sacrifices of Judaism. His goal in writing this letter was to show the superiority of Jesus to all things. The same message applies for us today. The author wants us to know that Jesus is what we have always needed, that Jesus is all we need, and that Jesus is everything we need. He does this by taking us through scripture and showing us in the law and the prophets that Jesus is the promised Messiah and that he is superior to anything that has or ever will come. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look further at Jesus, our incorruptible high priest, as we continue our series, Our Great Faith, in the book of Hebrews with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.